Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author Roger A. Smith, the author of The Coachman, which is book two of Rian Krieger's Journey. It's Philadelphia, 1837. On six occasions, 12-year-old tomboy Rian Krieger has escorted self-emancipated fugitives to the next station on their flight from enslavement. When Rian's father, factory owner Otto Krieger, learns that she is a conductor on the Underground Railroad, he renews his plans to send her to a finishing school in Switzerland. This is a fate Rian cannot abide, as it means she would have to wear dresses all the time. This workshop of the world, Philadelphia bustles with commerce. The siren song of increased prosperity prompts Otto to make bold decisions. Then the panic of 1837 descends, strangling businesses and straining the social and economic fabric of the city. Otto's factory and home are at risk of foreclosure. Otto's problems are potentially resolved when two visitors from Tsarist Russia enter his factory. Rian must decide, can the Russian's mission help solve her Switzerland dilemma as well? Roger A. Smith has always been fascinated by railroads, canals, the antebellum era, and social justice issues. He naturally gravitated to his first career as a high school history teacher. After 10 years of inspiring young people, he yielded to passions for which he had no formal training, co-owning a summer camp, farming, founding a participatory science museum, co-owning a wilderness expedition program for teenagers, teaching entrepreneurship at the college level, woodworking, and leading a rural arts organization. As an author, he draws lore and wisdom from all those professions and joy from the thought that he is once again making history come alive to his constituents. Roger and his wife lived and worked on a farm in central Pennsylvania for 41 years. They currently reside in Massachusetts with their Great Dane and two cats. Roger, welcome. It's really good to be here. Thank you. Wow. I always love to read that introduction <laughs> of you with all the things that you've done and are doing. It's uh, quite remarkable. Um, it's, uh, if you look at my career, it's very hard to connect the dots. I just seem to bounce like a ping pong ball from one thing to another. But uh, I do like the fact that uh, my passions have now come full circle and I'm back to history again. It's, wow. uh, it's how I look at life. I'm glad you've come back to that because we're really enjoying this series so far. I know there's a lot planned for it. And I'll yeah. just say that we miss you in central Pennsylvania. We should come back a little more often. <laughs> <laughs> I do try to get back, and, and uh, I, I'm, I'm not a stranger, It's a, uh, but uh, we're also ha very happy here on Cape Cod. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Beautiful place. So, Rian, book two. Maybe give us a little long view of what you're working on here, and then we'll get into what book two is about, maybe what's next. Absolutely. Uh, Rian Krieger uh, is, a, is a bit of a misfit. She just doesn't uh, fit into any of the square holes that people want to place her into. Uh, she wants to run eventually. She's only uh, 12 when we, when we see her at the beginning of book two. She wants to run Krieger Locomotive, which is at her uncle's factory. And although her uncle's receptive to it, her father is not. And uh, that just brings an unending series of, uh, of problems uh, to confront her. 
uh, eventually in the long course of things over the course of nine books, which this series entails, uh, Rian is going to uh, leave for Tsarist Russia. She's going to return to Philadelphia. She's going to come to Newport, Pennsylvania, which is where I used to live. What a, what a thought. Then beyond that, central New York, um, St. Louis, Missouri, San Francisco, California, and then just before the beginning of the Civil War, back to Philadelphia. So her odyssey is going to take in a broad sweep of American history, and many of the themes of this antebellum era are going to come to the fore, uh, and and Rian and her friends and enemies are going to have to wrestle with them. So uh, and you're writing about this early American history period. What fascinates you most about it? Well, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, numerous history teachers that I had both in high school and college used to tell me, you know, I get to um, through the revolution and the Constitution, and then I race to get to the Civil War. Yep. And they and they considered it to be a, a, a essentially uninteresting period in American history and forgotten. And And I... I disagree heartily. I've always been fascinated with this era. I was born and raised in, in central New York, so New York State history and culture was part of my upbringing. And I, I was always fascinated by the Hudson River culture, uh, the the uh, patroons of of uh, that era back in the Dutch, uh, you know, same era, but still of Dutch heritage. And and I just kept on going from there. So. Uh, I just find it tremendously fascinating, and I've looked not only in the history books, but in in um, in novels as well. Historical yeah. novels uh, tend to uh, tend to skip right over this period. It's interesting, uh, having studied a little bit of history myself. The uh, sure. and I agree with you. There, there's a there is a leap even in academic circles. Uh, the the interest seems to jump from revolution to civil war even today, but the Early Republic is such a fascinating period, and one of the most telling moments is in 1826 on July 4th when Jefferson and Adams both die on the same day, on the 50th anniversary of our nation. Now, what are the odds of that? Okay, the odds of that are just astronomical. But it's absolutely fascinating. But it's the 50th anniversary of our country, and you could argue a little bit earlier when Lafayette visits as well, that there's um, a re- rejuvenation of interest, a re, uh, as you say, investigation of the past, a rediscovery of it. And uh, people are probably realizing at that point, oh my gosh, we've we've lived as a nation for 50 years. Hmm. And along the way, uh, um, our, our institutions are in the formative stage and start to come into fruition, like our Supreme Court and our different Absolutely. Um, you know, our armed forces, our, our uh, international experiences, and so on. So, yeah, it's a very formative era. It's an exciting time. So much is happening. And it's it's the pre, you know, the pre-superpower era when uh, uh, the nation's in a very formative stage. I've used that word so many times, formative, but it, it I think it it's very uh, appropriate. And, uh, you know, you also have the gold rush that happens which uh, I have a family connection to, is fascinated with that as well. And uh, the overlooked Mexican War and the War of 1812. And, you know, you talk about the Panic of 1837. So uh, 
So tell me about Philadelphia in the early republic. What's uh, what's it like? Um, slavery was abolished in 1780, but and I, I think by 37, there might be five slaves left in Pennsylvania in bondage. Uh, your, so. your numbers are, are about right. Uh, yeah. Pennsylvania went about uh, uh, ab, uh, abolition in a, in a gradual way. They... Um, any um, uh, indentured individual who was born after a certain date uh, had to be freed at age 28. So over the course of 50 years, that did uh, eliminate slavery in in Pennsylvania. However, folks from the South, uh, from slave states, could bring their slaves into Pennsylvania legally. And as long as those uh, individuals stayed in Pennsylvania for less than six months. Uh, they remained in bondage. Uh, if they if they were there longer, they there was a case that could be made to have them free. As a matter of fact, when Philadelphia was the capital of the United States for ten years, uh, George Washington s- swapped his slaves out uh, every six months religiously so that they uh, would remain in slavery. It's a very fascinating fact. And on that note, Roger, we're going to take our first break. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books is your home for the writings of independent authors. Loch Ness Books is our young adult imprint, including Joe Harvey's Summer Changes Everything, Deanne Baker's The Boaters Club, and Arcane Maurer's Forbidden Powers series. Find these and other books by diverse authors at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Roger A. Smith, the author of uh, the series Rian Krieger's Journey. And specifically, we're talking about book two today, The Coachman. And so, Roger, we're talking about Philadelphia in the early republic and some interesting facts about slavery. But tell me a little bit about the Underground Railroad and, and what was going on with that. Well, this is this is what actually drew me to Philadelphia. I started writing uh, my, uh, and the first book, what I thought was going to be my first book, uh, was take was placed in central Pennsylvania, and I kept going back and back and back until I got to Philadelphia, back in time and place, uh, because it's really a novelist paradise. There's so much conflict between classes, between races, between uh, uh, ethnic groups. So uh, Philadelphia was really kind of a southern city and a northern state. It was just miles from two slave states, Delaware and and Maryland. It uh, uh, the, the southerners came to Philadelphia to do business in the uh, the cotton uh, brokers, the the insurance agents, the shipping companies, and the wives came for the summer to escape uh, the the heat and malaria of Charleston, uh, and that began the social season. And the important business of the time was marrying off young people to one another, Philadelphia money and and uh, Charleston money. So that there was a, a big inter- integration there of the two uh, of the two cultures. And one of the things that I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know when I was. Uh, uh, teaching history uh, a long time ago was that there was a very vibrant uh, black, free black middle class in Philadelphia during this era. And these were the folks who were driving the abolition movement. Uh, and not only were they running the Underground Railroad, but they were also 
now starting to push back against folks who were capturing uh, self-emancipated uh, individuals and trying to bring them back to the uh, to the slave states to their to their um, life of enslavement and uh, the way they did that was to pay lawyers to uh, represent these people to demand that th- that it be established that a slave were that a, this person was in fact who the um, the slave catcher said they were so it was uh, there was a, there's a lot of very very interesting people to be both real and fictional uh, to represent the movements of the times. Who it's were, fascinating. Who were some of the historic figures that Rian comes in touch with? Uh, I've conveniently placed her next door neighbor as Lucretia Mott, who uh, once <laughs> okay. again, when I was teaching, uh, I knew her as a uh, as a, an advocate for women's rights. But in this area era, the uh, 1830s, she was primarily an abolitionist and the thing that uh that uh separated lucretia from so many other women was that she did not shy away from speaking to promiscuous audiences and that means audiences of both men and women it was considered very uh outre for a woman to speak to uh, men in a public forum and and lucretia she wouldn't have any of it. She just plowed ahead. So she was delightful. The richest black man in uh, uh, probably North America uh, was a civil or was a Revolutionary War hero by the name of James Fortin. He ain't owned a, uh, a a sail making loft right on the Delaware River, and he was a frequent contributor to uh, William Lloyd Garrison's um, uh, The Liberator. Uh, newspaper as well uh, both monetarily and uh and with articles his son-in-law another extremely interesting individual uh, also wealthy he was so light-skinned he could pass as light but as white but rather than do that he identified with his fellow with as an african-american and therefore became uh very big in the in the uh, anti-slavery movement yeah, I was wondering if you have any interaction with Richard Allen as well. I remember going to Philadelphia as part of our Keystone Tombstones research and coming across Bishop Allen and uh, the founder of uh, early black church in America. But just curious. Yeah. Yes, although he's not a character, although I have fashioned uh, a number of individuals um, kind of patterned after him. And uh, so, yes, my research ha- has buzzed through a bunch of uh, references to him, but I has come up in as I've in my readings of the era and the Underground Railroad, as well as Garrison, and um, I love that she's next door to Lucretia Mott. That's that's pretty pretty interesting. So it helps to have it helps to have a, a former student who uh, went on to get a. Uh, a PhD from Harvard in American Studies because when I I get stuck I say can you I text her and say can you figure out where Lucretia Mott lived and and just moments later she comes back with 136 North 9th Street in Philadelphia so you know (laughs) it's awesome she's a research fiend that's great so tell us a little more about Rian Uh, the the years that she's alive, um, what, what's the entire span 
roughly? Do you have an idea um, of the? I know we don't want to give away the ending, but <laughs> sure. The the um, books, the nine books that I write will take us through the Civil War, but there's uh, I, I'm not entirely certain whether it's going to be an epilogue or bonus material or what. But we will be with Rian as a 91 year old in uh, in 1920, just as the wow. uh, women's um, uh, right to vote is being debated. Uh, and, and becomes a constitutional amendment. So we're going to be with Rian for a long time. Well, wow, so the whole span of, uh, just about the whole span of the 19th century. So on, on that note, Raj, we're going to take a second break and we'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books is the home of independent and diverse authors. Check out the agency books imprint for detective stories, tales of law enforcement, espionage, terrorism, spy thrillers, and more. Among the works available, KGB Banker by William Burton McCormick, The Apologist, a Luke Lundy novel by A.A. Weiss, and Douglas Brody's Sand or Once Upon a Time in the Jazz Age. Find these and other fascinating books at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Roger A. Smith, the author of The Coachman. And uh, I just love talking history with you, Roger. And uh, one of the events that you picked uh, to involve in this narrative is the Panic of 1837. What happened in 1837? As a coin collector, I know that there's some issues with the mintage of coins drops off and you know, you could tell from as a collector that there's something going on there, and then reading history, there's maybe a bank panic or what? What happened in '37? It, it was uh, kind of a time bomb was was laid a couple years previously by uh, Andrew Jackson, who issued something called the Species Circular. Now, Jackson uh, was reacting specifically to the fact that many. Uh, uh, speculators were buying up land that was uh, being sold by states uh, to justify the property would appreciate. They could break it up into smaller plots. They could sell it for for a lot of money. Uh, but Jackson objected to the to wealthy individuals becoming more wealthy by uh, 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 by just sitting on a bunch of properties circular which the species circular which stated that this land could not be purchased with money that was not backed by gold or silver uh, which is called specie right and and therefore over the course of year uh, a couple of years um, all of the hard money meaning the money that was backed by gold and silver migrated to the western states and what was left in the East was soft money that was issued by banks. Banks at this time could make, they could print their own money, literally. And and uh, there was no um, national bank anymore to be able to regulate this sort of thing. And so their uh, inflation just ran rampant. And then all of a sudden, 1837, New York banks stopped uh, allowing people to withdraw their own money from um, from their banks, and and they closed their doors, and that started a panic, which lasted the depression of uh, that was called the Panic of eighteen thirty seven. Actually, lasted would give seven years, and it was tricky and it was mean. It would give false promises of 
of uh, uh, being over with, and then the door would slam again. It was it was the worst depression in American history before the Great Depression in the, in the 1930s. Well, I have to be honest, Raj, my question was a loaded question because we've published a book called Biddle, Jackson, and a Nation in Turmoil, the infamous bank war, <laughs> and it's been out for a little while, and it's by a descendant of Nicholas Biddle, who was is the guy who battled with Jackson. Cordelia Francis Biddle, she still lives in Philadelphia. And, uh, and, and that book is right by my bedside. <laughs> it's not under my pillow, but I certainly relied on it heavily when I was, uh, when I was doing research. So and, my apologies and for She and I have corresponded with one another. Wonderful. She, uh, she is delightful. She is the, yeah, she seems to be the expert on this topic. And uh, yeah, shameless plug for another Sunbury Press book. My apologies. Shameless plug. <laughs> So tell us a little more about uh, where you're going with the series. What are you writing? And I know we're wrapping up book two. Uh, what's on deck? Uh, how far into the series are you? I'm a little skitzy on this whole thing. Uh, when you called, I was doing the final polish on uh, book two, which is uh, um, about to come out. Uh, book three is at my copy editor and she's about halfway through that a copy editor really is dealing with consistency and commas and and just uh, all the fine tuning stuff book 4 is at my developmental editors who will who are reading that and they uh, traditionally just kick the stuffing out of me and tell me when my when I've got a saggy middle and when I when a, a plot thread tapers out Sometimes as an author, you get so close to something, you've read it so many times, you miss the obvious. And that's what a developmental editor does. And when I'm not working with anything that people have tossed back to me, I'm on to book five. Uh, and uh, that is, I've got over 100,000 words written on that. And my target for all of my books is about 120. Right. Wow, that's amazing too. uh Work on a series that way where you can get that far well, that far ahead. Or may, maybe it's not so much that you're ahead. It's that we're all catching up to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, um, there are two kinds of authors, I am told, uh, plotters and, and pantsers. And plotters plot everything out in advance. That's definitely who I am. And the pantsers write by the seat of their pants. And when they start writing in the morning, they have no idea where they're going to go. <laughs> So I all of my books are are plotted out in a spreadsheet. I've got uh, major events in world and American history combined with where the, my characters are going and and uh, what else is going on in their lives. So uh, I, I'm I'm keeping it all pretty straight. Good. Maybe I can help position some of our other books into your works, like, you know, a can of Coke in the movie scene. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, yeah. ki I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, no, I appreciate that uh, that plan to your writing because it also, as a publisher, gives us uh, something to work with to understand uh, what the time frames will be, what the goals are. And, uh, sure. you know, the quality is also there, which is, I think, also a byproduct of um, – that plan where you're, you know, you're looking books ahead and thinking prior books in the series, and uh, and so it, it all connects, it all comes together. Well, it's kind of it's kind of funny, Lawrence, because you know, just a couple weeks ago, here I am in book five, 
and I, I sometimes my characters talk to me and tell full uh, book five this thing in book two, uh, then uh, that'll that'll set this whole thing up. And right. I did it. I went back to book two and and just made the adjustment. And it's so that's fun. Well, in the few minutes we have left, maybe talk a little bit about the reception so far for Rian's story. I think folks who know me uh, know if they uh, all they have to do is say, how's the writing going? And I'm off to the races. Uh, I, I, I can pretty much clear a room pretty quickly, but it's <laughs> it's it's my passion. It is the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning. And uh, folks, uh, uh, I've had such complimentary things said to me, both folks who know me. And uh, uh, folks who just write because they've visited my website and say, I never knew this stuff. And it's a it's a revelation. And, and I've got folks who I feel are going to be with me through all nine books if I can crank them out fast enough. And and it, it's uh, I, I, it is what I do. It's now my identity. And I think some people are coming along the, the, uh, the trip with me. And it's uh, it's very gratifying, frankly. Well, we're just thrilled to have you on board and to be publishing this series. Uh, absolutely love the way you weave history into historical fiction. You know, the, you. Be- the best historical fiction writers do that very, very well. And, uh, and then your characters are so memorable. And, uh, and they fit. So they fit the period very, very well. So, Raj, any, any closing comments you'd like to leave the audience before we break? I just want to um, I want to th- say thank you to you and your marvelous staff at Sunbury Press. Um, there is there was such a sense of validation when I got that original email from you saying that uh, um, the staff wanted to go ahead with publishing my first book and and what you said, what that email said to me was that I, I had something valuable to say and something that you felt you could uh, you could make a nickel on. And I and the two combined uh, just for the first time as a result of that email, I started calling myself an author. And that's a big deal. Well, author Roger A. Smith, thank you for joining us today. In my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.